kindness, your creative power, your sovereignty, your love and tender care. We thank you that we are heirs of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. We believe that in these precious moments now as we open your word, that we may hear from you as you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Open our, eyes, open our eyes, Lord, as we turn them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, that really was a particularly wonderful array of songs. Thank you for that. Well, greetings and grace to you. Good morning. Lovely to see you. It's wonderful to be worshiping the one true and living God. We could be in some other building on some other day or even this day worshiping a false God, but praise God that we're here um, worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's a wonderful Wonderful thing. As you know, we're in the Gospel of John, and if you're visiting with us, we'd love for you to join us on our journey through this truly wonderful Gospel. And I trust there's some of you that have noticed that we're beginning in verse 12 of John chapter 8. The last time we were together, we were in verse 52 of John 7. And so what is going on? Well, I hope it does, doesn't destroy your world too much to learn that those famous words about he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone, were never part of God's inspired and inerrant word. I hope that doesn't rock your world too much. I say that because we will be skipping Verse 53, all the way skipping through to verse, skipping verse 11 of what appears in your Bible. And I have to say that because I hope in your Bible those verses appear in brackets. If they don't, you might want to think about getting another Bible. The reason I say that is because the earliest of manuscripts, the Alexandrian manuscripts, do not contain that portion. In fact, it's not until... Some 400, 500 years later, that a manuscript appeared with those words contained within them. So the earliest manuscripts do not contain it. We're not interested in preaching it. And so we press on to verse 12. And with that, we can begin. Our focus this morning will be on verse 12 through to verse 20 of John chapter 8. If you want to learn more about all of that, you can... Do your own research into all of that. There's been sermons and lectures given about all of that, but I don't have time to do that. Let's read verse 12 through to verse 30, even though verse 20 will be our focus this morning. But the grand irony is I do not think we're getting out of verse 12 this morning. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. 
your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I am, where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he again said to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your spirit. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you now. Lord, would you take what occurs and what has occurred here and plant deep in us greater renewal of your love and may that love compel us to no longer live for ourselves but to live for the Son who died and rose again on our behalf. What a kind expression the Lord's Day is to your people, Lord, and we thank you for it. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we really come here today and wake up Monday and live out every day that the Lord gives us with a certain amount of gratitude. Sometimes we become like spoiled children and forget how much we have been given. But for the most part, even with swift reminder, we live in light of gratitude. One of the things that causes us that gratitude is to realize that everything we couldn't do, Jesus did for us. Someone say amen. amen. 
what we couldn't do, Jesus did for us. Meaning that, as I made mention of last week, Romans chapter 1 verse 21 tells us that our minds were darkened. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 tells us that outside of Christ, our thoughts are only ever continually evil. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 to 18 tells us that our, we are altogether ignorant and alienated and without hope in this world. And so that's a significant malady. But we're free from that malady. Do you understand? Free. That's cool, isn't it? That's good news. Now, I'm not trying to force into you joy so that you may simply just live some superficial joy. I'm trying to draw out of you what's already in you. That is a deep, deep abiding joy that comes from the wellspring of gratitude that my threefold malady has found its cure in my precious prophet, priest, and king. Because as prophet, he cured my ignorance. And as priest, he, he reconciled me to God. And as king, he subdued my sinful desires, altered my affections and rules and reigns over me. Not simply me as an individual, but me as one who is part of the spiritual kingdom here on earth, the church of Jesus Christ, where he rules and reigns as head. The people who had heard Jesus say all that he said in the temple at, remember, the Feast of Booths, they responded in different ways, and that's what we considered Last Lord's Day, these different responses, one group thought that Jesus was just a prophet, a wise man sent by God, not necessarily sent from God, and he was a good man to be esteemed. That's not enough. Another was so lost in their ignorance due to not being able to assess the facts about Jesus' birth. You remember, they, they said, would not the Messiah be born in Bethlehem? And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They'd missed that. And then there was that other part of the crowd. Maybe it was a smaller group. They simply believed. They believed that Jesus was the promised Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One sent from God, the One set apart to draw out all those that the Father had given to the Son from before the creation of the world and to place in them new life by the Spirit. That group was not smarter than the other group. Do you understand that? They were not cleverer than the other group. They simply didn't have a higher intellect so as to be able to join the dots as it were. No, no, they simply received grace to see. We're grateful for that too, right? And they did see. This is the Messiah, they said. Upon that confession that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, they are then united to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, and they would be forever changed. At that point, all that was promised them in eternity past flowed to them in present moment, all the promises of God. And they received them all in the person of Christ. They had the 
very source of life flowing through their veins, as it were. They now had life in his name. We just sung about that. And when we look at the Gospel of John, it must always be, and you've heard me say this before, we must always look at this Gospel through the lens of both John chapter 20, verse 31, which is the purpose of the Gospel, and also John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 20, verse 31 is the purpose, as I said, so that reading this Gospel, one may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and having believed, have life in His name. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, perhaps more than ever, you will see this morning why it is necessary to look at this Gospel through the lens of those two passages. And as we get underway... I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1. We were here a long time ago. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's the Logos. That's the eternal Son. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the eternal Son, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Look at verse 3. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness And the darkness did not comprehend it or overpower it. And so Jesus, the eternal Son, the Logos, the Word, was not a created being. That's what we learned from those verses. He was not a created being. He always existed. And He created everything. Verse 4 is telling us that Jesus is the one who creates physical life. For every person who has ever lived and whoever will live. Jesus is the person who created their physical life, our physical life. But verse 4 also tells us that Jesus is the one who forms spiritual life in every person who was given to him by the Father before the world was. I want you to think of it like this. Before the world was created... Before Genesis 1.1, before in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth... Before that, there was only eternal, perfect fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There was no creation. There was no light, so to speak. Uh, There was really just nothingness, if we can think of it from a human, finite perspective. But it was from out of that nothingness, God the Father and God the Son, through the Spirit, brought forth life and light in creation. I mean, look outside now, you can see the grass. God, by God, God the Father and God the Son, by the Spirit, brought forth life and light in creation. Well, the same applies when the nothingness or the darkness that's inside the heart of mankind due to the fall of Adam and the reality that mankind was sinful by nature, darkened in our hearts, altogether alienated from the life of God. There was no life inside of mankind. 
Well, from that darkness, God the Father sends forth, well, into that darkness rather, God the Father sends forth His Son by the Spirit into the heart of those who would believe and brings forth life. Creation here on earth receives its life and light by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you and I receive life and new creation by God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is the very source of all who have physical life because He created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus is the source of all spiritual life in the heart of every believer because He created spiritual life as life and light of the world. Look at verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. John the Baptist obviously came as a witness, verse 7 tells us, to testify about the light. He was not the light, but the true light which came into the world enlightens every man. The one who gives, this is what John's saying, the one who gives physical life to the world and the one who gives spiritual life to all those from the world who believe, they will, look at verse 12, they will be those who receive him. Look at verse 13. They were those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But of God. All through eight chapters of the Gospel of John so far, we've seen Jesus go to the people. And they have for the most part, rejected him. Aside from a very small remnant, aside from what Luke in his gospel said was a tiny flock. Look at verse 11. He came to his own. And those were his own did not receive him. Mankind rejects the light of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Mankind outside of Jesus dwells in darkness where there is no light. Listen to Proverbs chapter 2 verse 20, uh, Proverbs chapter 2 verse 13. It really describes humanity. It says this, as those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 19 says, the way of the wicked humanity is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And the trouble with this darkness, I was thinking about this kind of darkness that humanity is in. A darkness that you and I were once living in. We were of the kingdom of darkness. Not knowing what we were stumbling over, as we just read. The trouble with that kind of darkness is that you're still very much alive physically. You think that because you can witness the sunset, you can see the stars, you can see the colors of a rainbow, you think that all is okay with you. You're not in darkness. But the reality is that while you are very much alive physically and can see with your eyes, the Bible says to no end 
that if you are not in the Lord Jesus by a simple trust in his death for your sins, then you are in a very deep, deadly darkness. And so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But instead, today, receive the life and the light that only Jesus can bring you. In our passage this morning, John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20, we'll see, number one, a divine light in verse 12. If you're taking notes, a divine light in verse 12. And then for a Sunday to come, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we'll see, number two, a divine authority in verses 13 to 20. Divine light and divine authority, two divine truths that will bring to life a soul who is in present darkness. And will bring to newfound will bring newfound appreciation to the soul that has already been brought to life and transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the beloved Son. And so everyone here needs this passage. Everyone here needs this passage. And so let's dive right in and really we'll be here for the remainder of our time this morning, as I said in verse twelve, under the heading a divine light a divine light Jesus again spoke to them saying in verse 12 I am the light of the world he who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life We've seen Jesus' remark already about how he is the water from which spiritual life comes at the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths, which was marked by a special event each day, except the last day, you remember, where the priest each day, except the last day, would take water from the pool of Siloam and pour it out before The people, but on the last day when no one poured out water, is when Jesus cried out that he is the water of life. We saw all of that. If you missed that, I encourage you to pick that up. Well, I want you to know that there is another layer to this Feast of Booths. There's always levels to things. This was the most popular of all three feasts of the Jews that they were to observe each year as a matter of law to commemorate the way God provided for the people of Israel during the time of leaving Egypt and arriving into the promised land, some 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Not only at the Feast of Booze were there branches to commemorate the shelters that they had in that time. There was also the citrus fruit to commemorate the provision of food from God in that time. And we learned, didn't we, that there was also the water to commemorate that God provided water for them as Moses struck the rock. There's another thing that happened. There were also four giant candelabras, giant poles with flames on top of them that were raised each night at this Feast of Booths. All four of them, I learnt, 75 feet high. 
They were raised in the outer court. You know, the temple had inner courts and outer courts. There was a court of the Gentiles. There was a court for women. This was raised in the outer court of the temple. And so bright were these massive candelabras that were raised. It's commented that most backyards in little Jerusalem up on that hill were illuminated because of them. And so that happened each night during this Feast of Booths. And so as Jesus speaks the words there that he does in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He's obviously still at the Feast of Booths. He's still at the final day of it. John, the apostle, referred to it earlier on in John chapter 7 as the great day of the feast, the final day, the great day. And I've thought about that afresh this week because it really was great. Because when the water ceremony stopped, Jesus cried out that he is the true water. And I want you to know that on the final day, the eighth day of the Feast of Booths, it's well understood and widely agreed that those giant candelabras were not lit. And it was in that place with no light from those huge candlesticks, with the people all still present because you were called to assemble on that eighth day as a solemn assembly, it was there that Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's amazing. I think that's impressive. I think that's wonderful. You can kind of imagine the scene. That the day grows dark and then they light these giant candelabras and then on the day that they don't light these giant candelabras the man who's already been saying all that he has then says oh by the way i'm the light of the world if you look down to verse 20 you'll see that this all took place in the treasury says there these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple this was outside the inner temple area it was as far as women and non-jewish ethnicity ethnicities could go and so when you think about it jesus has been saying all that he has all over the recent weeks we've been looking at even now he's been teaching all that he has the whole time in an open area that's available to every person regardless of their gender regardless of their ethnicity regardless of their socioeconomic status All are invited to freely come to the living water, the living bread, and the living light. And I just want to ask some of you a question. Have you come to Him yet? You come to this building, but have you come to Him yet? I have many great joys in pastoral ministry, and one of them is when a parent comes to me with tears of joy and says, thank you for preaching the gospel because I want my child to come to faith. And as you preach the truths of the gospel, which you, by the way, parent, are already doing, as you preach the truths of the gospel, I... I long for them to come to faith and you say that with a quibbling chin and tears in your eyes and rightly so. 
But some of you have not yet come to him, the living bread, the living water, and the living light. And so I want to ask you, have you come to him? Have you come to the one who was before all time sent from the one true and living God, the Father, to live and die for sinners who are lost in darkness with death hanging over them? I want to ask you, would you make it this day that you commit your life to Jesus Christ? Simply trust in Jesus that he died on the cross for your sin. That because of your sin, you ought to be punished. But he took your punishment upon the cross and then on the third day he rose again so that death no longer hangs over you and judgment no longer lingers over you. But death and judgment were swallowed up in Christ's work upon the cross for you. Just come to him. The world will offer you all the sweetest dainty bread and the sweetest of water and the brightest of lights. But only Jesus can give you the true bread and the true water and the true light. Simply trust in Jesus. Trust that he died on the cross for you. You know, he rose again to newness of life so that you can have newness of life. You can have that newness of life right now where you sit. You don't have to do anything except for trusting in Jesus. When you walked in here and you sat down on your pew, you sat down trusting that you weren't going to fall on your backside. You rested in that seat. This day, whomever you are out there, just rest and trust in Jesus. Right where you sit. By turning away from yourself and turning to Christ, the light of the world. The gospel message here, clearly, as Jesus spoke it in the treasury, is not for a select group of people in some inner court. The gospel message is for all people, everywhere. And so Jesus stood this day saying to all, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I want you to know that Jesus stands here right now. Not me. But Jesus stands here in a very spiritual and unique way through his word that is preached. And he says, I am the light of the world. Come and follow me, and you won't walk in darkness any longer. And you'll have the light of life. Now, there are some significant things to consider here from Jesus' words in verse 12 that we must think deeply upon now. We must think deeply upon them so as to understand what Jesus is truly saying here, that it may truly change our lives. Because never ever forget the purpose of the Gospel of John. Every verse was written so that one might believe. That's evangelistic. But then having believed might have life in his name. That is experiential. And for those of us that have believed, we now must live a life that is not mere intellect but 
lived out experientially as we follow the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. And so the first thing I want to highlight here is that phrase, I am. Jesus begins by saying, I am the light. I am. If you look in the original language, that is what's called emphatic. The word order is, and everything about it is, is made to emphasize that statement. I am. In fact, repeatedly throughout the New Testament, we may read in our English Bibles, and we read it before when we opened here, we may read things that say in our English Bible like, I am He. Look, look down at verse 24. I kind of purposely skipped over it, but therefore, it says in verse 24, Jesus is saying, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, it says there, you will die in your sins. I trust in your Bible, He is in italics, because it's not there in the Greek. It is literally, I am. Unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Look back at verse 26 of John 4 with me for a moment. This is the woman at the well. We spent a long time there asking ourselves and discovering what was in the water. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. I am. The he is not in the original language. I am. Jesus is making a bold statement of deity, of divinity. John wants us to see the full deity, the full divinity of Jesus. You remember that Moses heard, I am. That's where this all comes from. Jesus, Moses rather, heard from Yahweh. He revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush by saying, I am. Yahweh says, I am who I am. The one true and living God. Well, all through John's gospel, Jesus just says repeatedly, I am. I am. Major overtones of divinity. In fact, in verses 58 to 59 of John 8, which we'll get to eventually, Jesus says what? Before Abraham was, I am. Now, our English minds and our Western culture were like, I am what? Like, it's a weird thing. But when you look at verse 59 of John 8, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And what they do? They picked up stones to kill him. They knew exactly what he was saying. And so never think that Jesus did not reveal himself to be Yahweh, the one true God. He did. The cults will try and tell you he didn't. The cults like Jehovah's Witness and the like. Jesus repeatedly said that he is God, Yahweh. And so this statement by Jesus to be the light of the world is one of divinity. And it's also one to signify the wonders of divine light. You see, something really remarkable is going on here. You remember from John 6, Jesus fed the people bread miraculously. Just as they received bread from heaven in the wilderness.
Jesus offered the people water. When he said to them, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Just as they received water in the wilderness. And here now, Jesus offers the people light. Just as they received light in the wilderness. And so this wilderness imagery here is very strong. Do not let it pass you by. Cannot afford to miss that. That in the wilderness, the people were given bread and water and light. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, gave the people those things as well. But I want us to consider three aspects to this claim from Jesus to be the light of the world. But keep in mind the Wilderness images that I've just mentioned. Jesus is the new manna sent from heaven in John chapter 6. Jesus is the water from the rock in chapter 7. And Jesus is the pillar of light in here in chapter 8. All of those are Old Testament images. So to the Old Testament we must now go. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 13 please. Excuse me. It's here we see the first aspect of Jesus' claim to be the light of the world. And it speaks to the idea of God's presence. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, there's three aspects to it. The first one is the idea of God's presence. Look at verse 21 of Exodus 13. Yahweh was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God was present with people. This is his presence. His presence was in the form of a cloud by day and fire by night. The people at the Feast of Booze lit those giant candelabras as a commemoration to God's presence. They were celebrating God's presence. In other Old Testament texts, we read of God speaking from the pillar of cloud. God's presence in the cloud and the pillar of light and God's presence now in the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus Christ. Outside of Him is only darkness. Inside of Him is the presence of God for you. It's an amazing promise. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will make known to me the path of a life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Psalm 17 verse 15 says, As for me, 
I will behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied in your presence. We live in the safe and satisfying presence of God when we live in union with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. And this is why union and communion are so important to the Christian life. Our union with Christ is fixed. It's not going anywhere. Our justification is a legal declaration that is unchanging. We are once declared legally right by God by faith, and that does not ever change. Praise God. But our communion with Christ fluctuates. It ebbs and flows as you and I make use of the means of grace that are afforded to us. The, the more and more we are dragged off and distracted by the things of this world, the less we're turning our eyes to Jesus, the more our communion with Christ is hindered. We need deep and rich communion with Christ to be able to be satisfied in God's presence. We will never be satisfied and never be able to sail through the hardships and the heartaches of life, whether that's financial worries, health worries, relationship worries, whatever the worries may be. We'll never be able to walk through those as we ought and never find satisfaction with it being enough to be in the presence of God unless we're communing with Jesus. And so we must commune with Jesus. In order to, to really lay hold of that safe and satisfying presence of God, not only must we rejoice in our union that we have with Jesus that is fixed and unalterable, we must press into our communion with Jesus that is fluctuating and we must lay hold of all the means by which God affords us to have sweet communion with Jesus. Yes, I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about reading the Word of God privately. I'm talking about sitting under the proclamation of it publicly. I'm talking about fellowshipping with one another. I'm talking about giving. I'm talking about serving. I'm talking about all these things that God affords us so as to find satisfaction in His presence. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, won't stumble and fall into death because He will be with you. And so first, presence. The next aspect to Jesus' claim to be the light of the world speaks to that of guidance. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 9. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Guidance. Look at verse 15 when you get there. Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And in the evening it was like the appearance of fire, light over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire, that is light, by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then send out, set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, 
There the sons of Israel would camp. They're being guided by the revealed glory of God. At the command of Yahweh, the sons of Israel would set out, verse 18, and at the command of Yahweh, they would camp. As long as the clouds settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. They knew when to go. They knew when not to go. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep Yahweh's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle according to the command of Yahweh, they remained camped. Then, according to the command of Yahweh, they set out. Hebrew has this funny way of just telling you the same thing over and over and over again. And I think the Lord knows we need to be told over and over and over again. What verse did I just read? 20? 21. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. You get the point? Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of Yahweh, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept Yahweh's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. And so here's the guidance of God. The guidance of God. And you think, well, why did they need all that? Well, you must never forget, and some of you have been there and I really want to go, This place is barren. This desert land was barren. It had no major landscapes of which to navigate from. A frame of reference is kind of handy sometimes. You know, when most of the terrain looks the same, you cannot navigate well. And so because they couldn't navigate well at all, God guided them with the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It just simply wasn't possible for the people to find their way. God guided them. God, by His grace and by His covenant, faithful, loyal love, guided them. And so, as Jesus says what He says there in verse 12 of John 8, I am the light of the world, He's not only teaching us that He is the very presence of God to you, but that He is the very guiding hand of God to you. And I trust you feel like you need a guiding hand in life. It's not easy, is it? Nehemiah the prophet also spoke of this in chapter 9 verse 12 where he says, And with a pillar of cloud you led them by day and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way which they were to go. And then in verse 15 of Nehemiah 9 it says this, You provided from You provided bread from heaven for them for their hunger. You brought forth water from a rock for them for their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. A land that gave Israel rest and peace where on their hard journey they received bread and water and light. Well, here now we live with a person, the Lord Jesus, the light of the world who gives us rest and gives us peace and gives us water and gives us bread and gives us light. And so that's God's presence and God's guidance. And now third, God's protection. Turn with me back to Exodus. Good night time. Our time is up. Exodus, this time chapter 14, 
I think I got up late. That's my excuse. There's a true fact. Exodus 14, verse 19. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel and there was the cloud along with the darkness yet it gave light at night. Thus no one, thus, thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and Yahweh swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land and the waters were like a wall to them on, the, on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit and all the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen went in after them and in the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, Yahweh looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve. He made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for Yahweh is fighting for them against the Egyptians. God protects. God protects. Israel would have died but for those interventions. Also in the heat, Israel would have died in the extreme heat of the day. If you think about it, when they were traveling, if that giant cloud didn't cover them as it did, as they traveled, it gave them shade. There, there is in this area complete contrast between hot and cold. I read that it can get up to like 140 degrees Fahrenheit and then go below zero, go below freezing in the evening. The nation of Israel was in the presence of God. They were guided by God and they were protected by God. Even though they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. Psalm 44 verse 3 says, For by their own sword they did not possess the land. And their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence for you favored them. In the person of Christ, we receive also what we do not deserve. Our own arm and our flesh did not save us, but God in the person of Christ loved us, lived, lived for us, died for us, and now we live in the presence of God under the guidance of God and in the protection of God. Let me say this. Life was hard for the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness. Don't take this promise to think that life won't be hard for you and I. But as life was hard for them, they were given bread. They were given water. They were given light. As life is hard for you and I, as we make our journey to our promised land, life will be hard. But we will be given bread. We will be given water. We will be given light. We have God's guidance, God's protection, and God's presence. I'm just going to stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and say thank you for the opportunity to once again be in your word. Thank you that in Jesus, the exact same that was true for the people of Israel is true for us. 
the sun beat down on Israel for sure as they walked and their wilderness journeys were tough and our lives as we journey can be just as tough and hard. But no matter how hard we rejoice and we live out of gratitude because there is always hope in the presence of God given to us in the person of Christ. Father, would you take a person who entered this room, this building this morning in darkness, would you take them and transfer them into the kingdom of light? And for we who are living in this kingdom of light, this kingdom of your beloved Son, would you help us to look afresh upon the the challenges of life, our own wilderness wanderings? Would we always know that just as you provided your people in their wilderness, you provide for us in ours? We thank you that it was your covenant love that kept them and it's your covenant love that keeps us. And Lord, help us to rejoice that they only saw shadows, but we see the full glory and substance of the Lord Jesus. Because he became flesh and he dwelt, he tabernacled among us. Help us to trust in Jesus for your presence for your guidance and for your protection. And we pray all this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.